The second lesson, which is also the basis for the sermon, is from the second letter of St. Peter, chapter 3. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Show sympathy, brotherly love, compassion, and humility. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Instead, speak a blessing, because you are called for the purpose of inheriting a blessing. Indeed, let, no one, let the one who wants to love life and to see good days keep his tongue from evil and his lips from saying anything deceitful. Let him turn from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their requests. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you should happen to suffer because of righteousness, you are blessed. Do not be afraid of what they fear, and do not be troubled. But regard the Lord, the Christ, as holy in your hearts. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone ask, who asks you to give a reason for the hope that is in you. The word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Jesus is preaching and teaching on the Sea of Galilee, and after a massive, miraculous catch of fish, he calls those fishers to follow him as his first disciples. And when Jesus does that, he is calling them to leave their lives as they know it. And from then on, to allow Jesus to dictate everything they say and everything they do. And when Jesus gives them this call, he does it clearly and intentionally and urgently. He does not hem and haw. He puts it into language that his chosen will be able to understand, and Jesus gives them no time at all to think about it. There is no 48-hour window to go home and ponder this and talk it over with the family. It's just come and follow me. And from that moment, these fishers are now called to follow Jesus in everything they do. Now, where Jesus walks, every time Jesus picks up his toes, they are called to press their heel directly down into Jesus' footprint, to follow him in everything they do. They are also now called to follow Jesus with their speech, to say what Jesus says. So they will spend the next three years following Jesus around Israel, and they will listen to Jesus preach and teach, just as he was doing that day on the Sea of Galilee. They will listen to Jesus' words, about the good news of the kingdom of heaven. And they will watch Jesus catch people with the good news. And then, after Jesus leaves them and returns to heaven, they will catch people the same way by proclaiming the good news of God. They will do it right after Jesus' ascension on Pentecost when they proclaim the gospel to people from all over the world in strange languages. And then, like Jesus, they will do it traveling throughout Israel. And they will even take the gospel to the Gentile lands around the Mediterranean. Some of these disciples, the Holy Spirit will even inspire to write the words of Scripture that we still have in the Bible today. On that day, on the Sea of Galilee, when Jesus calls them, they now follow him in everything they say and everything they do. Now, it would be a little misleading to draw a direct, straight line from the call that Jesus gave those fishermen, to the call that he has given you. Because you are never called 
to walk next to Jesus for three years in Israel and to learn from him personally. You weren't called to preach in strange languages on Pentecost and you haven't been called to travel the world all over as a missionary. The Holy Spirit never inspired you to write the words of scripture. So it wouldn't be true to say that your call is exactly like the call of those first disciples. However, you very definitely do also have a call from God. And you know that. Because one of the fishers that Jesus called that day on the Sea of Galilee was Peter. Peter was also one of the disciples that the Holy Spirit inspired later to write words of scripture. We have two of Peter's letters still with us in the Bible as the word of God. And when Peter wrote those two letters, he was not addressing apostles or pastors or missionaries. He was addressing people I like to call normal Christians. People like you, normal, regular, everyday Christians. People who did not have a call to be apostles or missionaries, and yet, very clearly, they do have a call to those normal, everyday Christians. St. Peter writes, you were called for the purpose of inheriting a blessing. When the Holy Spirit brought you to faith in Jesus, he made you a child of God, and you were called to inherit the blessing of life in heaven. You will inherit that blessing because our Savior Jesus came into this world not just to call disciples, but also to save them. Jesus came and lived his entire life in perfect conformity to all the commandments of his heavenly Father. Every single thing that Jesus did as he walked on this earth, he did because his heavenly Father wanted him to do it. Every single word that Jesus spoke when he was here on this earth, he spoke because his heavenly Father wanted him to speak it. And Jesus did that to make up for his followers who do not always say the things that God wants us to say, and we do not always walk the way God wants us to walk, and we still don't. Even after we come to faith in Jesus, we do not always follow him perfectly, but Jesus did the work to take all of our sins away. And when the Holy Spirit brought you to faith in Jesus, you were called God's child, because for Jesus' sake, the Holy Spirit washed away all your sins in the blood that Jesus shed, and he lifted your sin off of you and placed it on Jesus, and in place of your sin, he gave you the righteous, the perfect life that Jesus lived for you. And you are called God's child, and because you're God's child, you are in line to inherit, to inherit the blessing of heaven. Now, for many Christians, the Holy Spirit gave that call to be God's child, he gave faith in Jesus in the waters of baptism. He brought you to faith in Jesus there. He made you God's child. He washed away your sin and clothed you in the righteousness of Christ. And you are now called to be God's child. And the blessing of heaven is your inheritance. Now, once at a pastor's meeting a long time ago, the subject came up for some reason of babies shrieking and screaming when they were being baptized. And the question was, how do you prevent this thing from happening? And there was a lot of practical advice given. Like one guy says, uh, it's better if the baby is awake because then the baby will be less surprised when the water hits the forehead, less likely to scream. Another guy says, ah, oh, you gotta make sure the water is room temperature because if it's cold, it's gonna shock the baby and they're gonna scream. And finally, this old codger 
uh, a retired pastor who for some reason kept coming to the meetings, I don't know, more power to him, he spoke up and he said, why don't you just not worry about it and let the babies cry? He said, you would cry too if Satan was getting kicked out of your soul. That was the first time I ever heard that. I've heard it a couple of other places since, so it might not have been his original idea. But ever since I heard that for the first time, I still prefer if the baby's awake. I am careful to make sure that the water is room temperature, but the screaming and crying, when it happens, it no longer bothers me, because what that old guy said is true. When you are baptized, the Holy Spirit is working. He is wrestling you out of the grip of the devil and out of control of sin and eternal death and making you a child of God through faith in Jesus. Now I'm going to do something that they teach you at the seminary to never, ever, ever do. In uh, preaching class, they call it homiletics. There are things they teach you. Never, ever do this during a sermon. I don't see anyone from the seminary here this morning, though, so I should be safe. One of the things they tell you never, ever to do is to single out one individual during a sermon and address them directly. Now, don't panic. It's not anybody in the sanctuary. I want to talk to this fella, just this fella who occasionally watches our worship services online. And when he does, whenever the topic of baptism comes up, the power and blessings of baptism, this fella is very much not fond of it. And he puts his kind of virulent, throbbing lack of fondness into words, and he sends it to me by electronic mail. And it says stuff like, oh, you're teaching, you're giving people empty hope, and you're teaching them to put their faith in just a, an outward ritual. And I answered the first couple messages like this. I don't answer anymore, so I just want to talk now just to the fellow. Okay. Please tune in again. If you're watching today, tune in again next week and listen very carefully to what the Holy Spirit says in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 11 about baptism. Listen with an open mind. Just let the words say what they say, and hopefully you won't be able to walk away from it thinking that baptism is just a ritual. Because... What the Spirit teaches us there, and many other places in Scripture, is that whether it happened in baptism, or for a lot of Christians it happens later in life, when they hear the good news of Christ spoken, but when the Holy Spirit brings you to faith, at that moment you are called to be God's child with the inheritance of heaven. And at the very same time that the Holy Spirit calls you to be God's child, he also calls you to live as God's child. And now is the time that it is right to draw a line between the call Jesus gave to his first disciples and the call that he has given to you. Because just as Jesus called them to follow him in everything he said and everything he did, Jesus has also called you to follow him in all of your actions and all of your speech. And again, we know that because St. Peter is writing to normal, everyday Christians. And you notice in these verses, he never commands them to get up and preach a sermon on Sunday morning. And he never commands them to go on a missionary journey. But this is what Jesus, this is what Peter says to all of them. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Show sympathy, brotherly love, compassion, and humility. But even if you should suffer because of righteousness, you are blessed. Do not be afraid of what they fear, that's death, and do not be troubled. Now, why does St. Peter call all Christians to do these things? Well, 
who worked for harmony among his bickering disciples? Who showed sympathy to the outcasts and marginalized people in his world? The women and children and the people with physical challenges. Who showed brotherly love by washing his disciples' feet? Who showed sympathy by saving a woman who was being stoned to death and then telling her to go and sin no more? Who showed humility when he gave up the glory of heaven and came into this world to save us? Who was willing to suffer for righteousness and even consider it a blessing when he suffered for righteousness because he knew that it was for our salvation and for the glory of his heavenly Father? And who died in peace, without fear, because he trusted that his Father would raise him three days later? These are all the steps of our Savior Jesus. And these are the steps that Peter commands each and every Christian to walk in. And before we take our first step, we need to remember that we are doing this as God's forgiven children. We are guilty of sin. We have not always walked in our Savior's footsteps, but he has done the work to take our sins away. And that's why we want to walk the way that our Savior walks. A follower of Jesus walks in harmony with other followers of Jesus. A follower of Jesus says something like this. I may be totally convinced that my idea of how to do this thing is smart and it's going to work. And I may be totally convinced that your idea of how to do this thing is silly and it's never going to work in a million years. But as long as I'm certain that you're not going to hurt yourself or hurt anybody else, I'm just going to stand aside and for the sake of peace and harmony among us, you can do it your way. You can do it the way that you want to do it. A follower of Jesus has compassion and sympathy. A follower of Jesus says, when you hurt, when you are suffering, I feel it too. And because I feel it too, I am going to work just as fervently to relieve your suffering as if I were actually in pain myself. And I'm going to look for the people around me who are forgotten by the rest of the world and I am going to work to serve them. The follower of Jesus shows brotherly love. Remembering that the biblical definition of love has a lot more to do with your actions than it does with your words. So a follower of Jesus says, he not only spoke about his love for the world, he proved it by laying down his life for my sins and the sins of the whole world. So I will seek to prove my love for my brothers and sisters in Christ. There will be nothing that I will not lay down for them. A follower of Christ shows humility. A follower of Christ says, Jesus thought of himself last when he answered the Father's call and he entered the womb of a young lady that he created and came into a world that he made perfectly and then watched fall into sin. And he walked on dusty streets and allowed himself to be nailed to the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. Like my Savior, I will think of myself less and I will think of others more. And a follower of Jesus is willing to suffer for righteousness. Jesus' followers say, I am fully aware that I am living in a world that is becoming more and more hostile to my Christian faith every day. And that there are people out there who are going to call me hateful and all kinds of other names just for holding to some very clear and basic teachings from God's word. I don't care what they say about me. 
I don't even care what they do to me. Because even if it means my life, that's only the beginning of life eternal. Jesus suffered for his righteousness, and he died confident that he was going to conquer death. In Christ, I'm going to conquer death too, so I will not be afraid of anything that they do to me. This is the call of every Christian, whether an apostle or a pastor or a gardener or a mail carrier or a wife or a citizen or any combination of the above, do what Jesus does. Not only are Jesus' people called to do what he does, we are also called to speak the way that Jesus speaks. And this applies to the way we talk to each other. Peter says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Have you ever returned an insult with a blessing? It is not the way we are expected to respond to an insult. How are we expected to respond? with another insult, preferably one that is even more biting and clever than the one we receive. But the call of the Christian is to respond to insults and evil speech with a blessing. I remember an exchange between two young ladies who were classmates, and one of them got a new hairstyle, came to, came to school. And the other young lady insulted her by saying, you look like Chewbacca when he first gets up in the morning. That was the insult. <laughs> and the young lady absorbed that insult, and this was her response. Well, I like your hair. Now, technically, that doesn't fit the technical definition of a blessing, but it was definitely kindness, and it was a reflection of the heart of Christ. And this is the Christian's call. And you know, it really stands out. It's striking when someone responds to an insult that way. That happened over a quarter century ago, and I still remember it. And when you respond to insults and evil speech this way, you are following the lead of your Savior Jesus because so many people said evil, insulting, and hateful things to Jesus. And he responded to them with the ultimate blessing. You say, yeah, but when I read the gospel, Jesus has some pretty strong words for these people sometimes. And that's true because he loved them and he wanted to wake them up to the truth. But he responded to all their insults and evil speech with the blessing of the forgiveness of their sins. Jesus lived his holy life for them too, whether they believed it or not. He died on the cross for their sins too, whether they believed it or not. And from that cross, he called out for the blessing of forgiveness from his heavenly Father. Now this, speaking like our Savior, also applies to when we speak to people who don't know what we believe or why we believe it. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that is in you. On The Tonight Show, Jay Leno used to do this segment called Jaywalking. He'd send a guy out to Hollywood Boulevard, where there's a very touristy area. You know, you get a nice cross-section of people from all over the country. He'd send them out there with a microphone and a film crew. And he'd put the microphone in the face of random people and ask them very easy questions about current events and history and science. And then the segment was a cut-up of all the silliest answers that people gave to those questions. So it was like five minutes of people saying that Columbus discovered America in 1776 and Neil Armstrong was the first president. And it was funny, but it, it would also make you wonder, what would happen if I were totally unprepared, no matter how easy the question is, and somebody stuck a microphone in my face and I was totally unprepared, what kind of nonsense would come out of my mouth? 
Would I also claim that the sun is a planet or that Winston Churchill is a brand of cigarettes? It's, it's hard to say because you don't know what's going to happen when you're not prepared, which is exactly why God calls people to be prepared to give the reason for the hope that we have. And this is following Jesus. Jesus was always ready and he always spoke the truth clearly and accurately and without flinching about himself, his heavenly father, the Holy Spirit. And so all Christians are called to do this. Would you be ready if somebody asked you to give the reason for the hope that you have? What would you say? Well, our hope as Christians is that we have eternal life in heaven and the basis for that hope is the good things that God has done for us. So I always encourage Christians to use the Apostles' Creed for this. Probably don't want to just recite it word for word, but you do know the Apostles' Creed by heart probably. We're going to use it in about two minutes. Be surprised if you just put your bulletin down. You already know it by heart. And you can just paraphrase it, put it in your own words, and use it as an outline. You know, just say something like, I believe God the Father made me and everything perfectly, but I'm sinful and so are you and so is everybody else. So Jesus came and he lived a holy life in our place and he died on the cross to take our sins away, but he rose from the dead and he's still ruling in heaven and he's going to come back. And when he does, everyone who believes in him is going to get to live with him forever. And I believe that the Holy Spirit has given me and every Christian the faith to believe this. See, I practice it a couple of times, you'll be ready to go. And you know, you could do it, you could do it even more simply than that. You could just follow the basic flow of thought in one short sentence that Peter writes in these verses. Just before he tells Christians to be ready, he says, but regard the Lord, the Christ, as holy in your hearts. So just follow that line of thought. Jesus is Lord, he's God, he's also the Christ. He's the one who came to take away the sins of the world and the Holy Spirit has placed this truth in my heart. I believe it because the Holy Spirit has taught it to me. So you don't have to memorize a dogmatics textbook and recite it, but we are to be ready because as Jesus called the disciples to catch people with the gospel, with the good news of God, he calls all Christians to do the same thing in their daily lives. Because in pure grace, the Spirit called you to be God's child and inherit the blessing of heaven. And at the very same time he did that, he called you to follow your Savior Jesus in all of your actions and in all of your words. So, until you reach the blessing of heaven, follow Jesus in all you say and do. Amen.